Well, before jumping into the Word, you can actually turn in your Bibles to Joshua 14. We're going to end this series with where we began it in Joshua chapter 14. Um, But before reading the text, and we had other prayer points as we were singing, there um, there was a visual up here that I hope you caught. Um, very similar to that Psalm 84 text that says, even, even our young we can lay at your altar, O Lord. Uh, so where you see the young one hanging on to Shannon's shoulder during this time of song is a beautiful image of just the nature of our God who opens up his arms and says, even in your child, like, I, I can take you in, right? I'll hold you. There's a place of rest, if you will, on my shoulder. And so just as that picture was set before us, uh, I just wanted to pray before we jump into the text, pray specifically for our children. Um, I know as parents, we have heightened concerns for our kids through this particular season that we've been going through. I'm sick of calling it a season at this point because it's just, it's kind of just ongoing. It's what it is right now. Uh, And so I just believe that we need to just take a moment to stop, slow down, and intercede specifically uh, for our kids, and then we'll jump right into the text from there. So Lord, we come to you this morning. We thank you for the gift of children, (laughs) for all the... (laughs) Frustrating moments and exhausting moments. God, we thank you for uh, our children. And we thank you, Lord, um, that they are but a stewardship from you. They are your image bearers. And so, Lord, even through the concerns that we carry as parents, through the fears even that we may entertain as parents, uh, Lord, may it be that we would even find ourselves bringing our young to your altar and saying, Lord, here's my fears and here's my concerns and here's my child. Have them. Have, have your way in their hearts and in their lives. May they find, as I do, rest in your presence. May they find strength in your presence. May they come to know you. Lord, we pray that um, for all our children, that there would be a, 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 at a young point in their life, a realization of who you are, that they would come to faith and trust in you, and then walk with you in this life. God, I pray that as our culture continues to go in its way, uh, that there would be a wonderful countercultural generation raised up through the church to be your light, that as your scripture would say, that they would arise and shine for your sake. And so God, have your way with our children, in our children, working through our children, your glorious purposes. God, we intercede for them, thanking you that we can lay them at your altars. So God, we take rest in that, and we thank you for it, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's finish up this series, Joshua chapter 14. We're going to read verses 6 through 13. Joshua 14, verses 6 through 13. And again, if if you know the story, I hope you have it in your mind from the series that we've been in a bit. God has asked Moses to send spies into the land, right, to search out the land to see if the land is ready to be taken, right? But there are giants in the land, so 10 of the spies come back and say, this ain't a good idea. I know God's telling us to do this, but this isn't a good idea. There's giants in the land. They're surely going to take us down. And then there's Joshua and Caleb who say, no, this is what the Lord has promised us, and therefore he's going to give us the strength. He's going to give us the victory. And God's people then all kind of stand back in this moment and falter in their faith. And God says, all right, because my people have faltered in their faith, it's going to be 40 years of wilderness wandering. Right? What, what a discipline. That's a sobering discipline that God brought upon his people. And now by Joshua chapter 14, this is 45 years later, 
So Caleb's an old man now. He's in his 80s. And Caleb is now coming to Joshua and saying, hey, remember what God promised to me? He promised to me a parcel of this land, and I'm ready to take it. So listen as it goes. Verse 6 of Joshua 14. Then the people of Judah came to Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, there he is, the son of Jephthah, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God in Kadesh Barnea, concerning you and me. It was 40, I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land, and I brought him word again as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt. They made their faith falter. Yet I, this is so wonderful, yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden shall be an inheritance for you and your children forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war and for going and coming. So now, give me this hill country. Give me this literal mountain of which the Lord spoke on that day, for you heard on that day how the Anakim, those were the giants, were there with great fortified cities. It may be that the Lord will be with me, and I shall drive them out just as the Lord said. Then Joshua blessed him and gave him Hebron to the sons of Caleb for and inheritance. We are soon coming up uh, on a year since we've kind of been stuck in what I would refer to this like it's a COVID holding pattern. Uh, it's put a halt on much of our church life, just as is represented here. Most of our church family is not here. You're at home, hopefully, watching uh, in. And so it's been a full year in this holding pattern, if you will, and I don't know about you, but I am itching to get back to some normalcy, yeah. recognizing that in some ways, maybe things will never be as it was, um, and yet, man, I am itching. I'm itching to get back to what God has called the church to do and to be about. Uh, even while we were on quarantine, I found myself going back into Facebook to our uh, church uh, photos, you know, and going through just the different seasons of our church life. That, that tends to my soul. They are like Ebenezer's signs of victory in some sense. They're like ways in which I can look back and see, wow, wasn't God faithful? Sometimes I can get lost in the moment and not see just how amazing God has been. And so going back through those pictures on Facebook, I saw the 30 kids in Grace for Youth, right? Children that we had the opportunity to disciple and point to Jesus on a regular basis. We saw then, you know, even the, the Thanksgiving feast that we would have, opportunities to come together and celebrate all that God is doing. VBS and the 80-plus kids that would show up and hear about the good news of Jesus, the Puerto Rico uh, trip that we took and the joy that that was, and, and everything in between. And I'm sitting back just saying, Lord, man, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm itching to get back to some sort of normalcy. Get, get back to the mission that God has for us as a church. Um, to say it maybe another way, I want more. <laughs> I want more. And I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that in a selfish way. Like we talked about the holy ambitions from weeks ago that you guys wrote down and brought forward. Those are holy, those are good desires. Those are godly desires. And in some sense, that's where I'm, I want more. I want to get back to the discipleship. I want to get back to sharing the gospel with others. I want to get back to celebrating what God is doing. I want to get back to mission. We've been in a holding pattern for some time now. 
And of course, it's, it's not going to look the same, right? It's just not going to look the same moving forward. And nonetheless, I want more. I want to see more. And this is personally speaking. I want to see more growth and holiness. I'm looking at my life. I'm just like, oh, man, this and this and this. And Lord, I want to surrender it to you. I want it. I want it to be centered, my life in all of its capacities centered on you. I want to grow in holiness. I want more. Oh, and the Lord's convicting me in different ways of this, even through this past season. Um, yeah, of just growing deeper with one another. Fellowship. Um, I got my own goofy struggles pastorally that I find myself like, to be honest, relationally, just a little hesitant at times. And I, I need to work through that. I want, God, I want you, like, mess me up in order that I might be able to go deeper in relationship with my brothers and sisters. I want deeper relationship. I, I want more boldness in the spirit to be speaking truth to others, speaking Jesus to others who need to hear him. Your coworkers are lost. Do you know that? They're lost. Eternity will come. Judgment day will come. We have to live in light of these things. There is to be a sense of urgency. I know we're in the holding pattern, but let the holding pattern stir urgency for holiness, for deeper relationships with one another, to see Christ made much of. I'm, I'm eager for more. And folks, the scripture calls us, I'm making a mess up here. Scripture calls us to this. Even in our walk with the Lord, scripture holds out these promises. Something like this. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. There's depths to relationship with God that you haven't gotten to yet. There's more, and that in context in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, has the idea that we've been given the Spirit so that we might know the deep things of God. There's more in relationship to God to know, to plumb the depths of. There's more when it comes to even uh, Ephesians chapter 2. There are good works that God has prepared before the foundation of the world for us to walk in. There's good things that he's prepared for us to do. And so, do you not know that there is more? And I hope that doesn't land as like a burden, a religious burden, a cumbersome burden, like, oh man, there's more religiosity stuff to be about. If that's how your heart responds uh, to this call, then like, you, you got the wrong perspective. It is adventure, it is glory, to desire to go deep with God and to be about his purposes. You see, the idea of wanting more, if, if you'll bear with the thought, is that of inheritance. I want more. I want more. Right? I want more depth in relationship with God. I want more sweetness and fellowship with the church. I want to be about the mission uh, that Christ has given us as the church. I want more, but the more is the inheritance that we have in Christ. The inheritance we have in Christ, in, in a word, is heaven, is kingdom. Paul will refer to our inheritance in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, as all the spiritual blessings in heavenly places, right? Christ has won for us our inheritance. He's won it, but we live here on earth to apprehend it. Does that make sense? Our inheritance that Jesus has won is not something that we just merely wait for, some glory day when we finally arrive to heaven and there it is, he's prepared a place for us. And that, that's the, no, there's more of the inheritance even now to come to know, to apprehend, such that it is an investment even in glory one day. Does that make sense? Right? We're not to just kind of walk this journey on this road of life, awaiting a day where we'll finally receive what Jesus has purchased for us. No, there's 
the kingdom, aspects of the kingdom to be seen and known now. There's souls to be saved here and now. There's discipleship and growth to be apprehended now. Right? So while Jesus has won our inheritance, we still need to get our hands on the inheritance. We need to invest in that inheritance. We need to live so that one day when we arrive in glory, there's going to be people standing there saying, thank you for preaching the gospel to me. Thank you for investing. Thank you for apprehending, getting your hands on the inheritance. Thank you for ministering to me. This is the idea of inheritance. And, and when it comes to Joshua 14, we've got to make some connections here. Joshua 14 is all about inheritance. God has said, I'm going to give my people this land, right? And so what does Caleb do? Caleb has faith to go get the land. And of course, God's people, they falter. They say, no, we can't do this. And so God brings that 40 years of discipline upon them as they wander in the wilderness. And yet Caleb doesn't lose sight of the promises of God. He doesn't lose sight of the promise of inheritance that is his. And so 45 years later, he's coming to Joshua saying, hey, Joshua, it's time. Let's go take the inheritance that God has given us. Now, when it comes to applying that to us, we're not at war with physical giants, right? We're not trying to attain an inheritance of actual physical land. We, we can't just take this text and just outright apply it to, it to ourselves. It just doesn't make any sense. And so when you study the Bible, part of it is taking the principles that are here in Joshua 14 and actually then drawing them through the storyline of Scripture and understanding how they then apply to us today. Jesus has won our inheritance. He is the one who has secured for us a land. One day Jesus is going to return and make all things new. This is the land that he has promised. He's going to make this globe new again. That's the hope that we have in him. He has established his spiritual kingdom here on earth, not a physical kingdom. That's why Jesus is getting at Peter when Peter's trying to cut the ear off of the of the soldier, right? He said, put your sword away. This isn't the way my kingdom works. Jesus has won an inheritance for us, but now in this life, he's saying, ensure that my authority, my kingdom fills all in all. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 23. Go after the souls that are mine to see them saved so that they are part of your inheritance one day in glory. Go see foretastes of the kingdom realized here and now. There's part of the inheritance that, are, that is ours to apprehend here and now. So what we have in Joshua chapter 14 is a picture of what we have ultimately in Christ. We're not pulling swords and killing giants, right? What we're doing is living in this heavenly kingdom under the rule and reign of Jesus, seeing his kingdom realized more and more and more. We're seeing something of our inheritance apprehended as we share the gospel with others, as we grow in holiness, as we grow in fellowship with one another, as we grow in the spiritual gifts, as we go out on mission to see the sick healed, the demonized set free, and to see the gospel preached, right? So this is all a part of apprehending our inheritance. It's not just something we sit back and just say, well, when God eventually like, decides to bring us to glory, then we'll get what he's earned for us. No, he's put us in the work here and now. The inheritance is ours to put to work to see the kingdom realized in greater measure. So here, here's the question that I want to just consider briefly with you. How do we apprehend our inheritance in Christ? Once again, Christ has already won it for us, but how do we work into it? How do we get our hands on it? How do we apprehend what Christ has ultimately won for us first? God's word must determine our will. God's word must determine our will. Consider verse 6. 
that states, And Caleb said to him, Joshua, You know what the Lord said to Moses. Caleb is bringing to Joshua the word of God, which is determining Caleb's will in the moment. He's making the choice to say, I'm going to go take that land because God's word has spoken it. God's word is determining Caleb's will. Why is Caleb coming to Joshua? Why is Caleb collecting on the 45 years later, this promise that he's been given, not because it's just, hey, a good idea here and now. I'm 85 years old. Might as well busy myself with something. It's not about busy work. It's not about ministry work. It's not about just some grand idea that he had. No, the Lord spoke it, and therefore Caleb is following it. He's allowing God's word to determine his will. Now, this principle will point us ultimately to Jesus. John chapter 5 Verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says this. He says, Truly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. Jesus never did anything outside of what the Father spoke. That is stunning. Like, get your mind around that for a moment. Jesus, he was in constant submission to his Father's word. The Father's word always determined Jesus' will. Even to the point where Jesus is in the garden, his death is imminent, and Jesus is saying, not my will, but yours be done. Everything and anything that Jesus did, he did by the word of his Father. This is how sons and daughters are meant to live. As a son and daughter of the Most High God, you were made to follow the model of Jesus, the Son. You were made to live like Jesus lived, that your will would be determined by God's word. This is what Jesus has saved you to. He saved you to this relationship. He saved you to be a son and daughter. And the way sons and daughters live is to submit themselves to the word of their father. Jesus never did anything of his own accord, only what the father had him do. And this is the model for us. We follow in what the Father says. Now, of course, Scripture is going to be like, hey, there's a moral will that God has set forth for you. All right? Whatever it is, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That is God's will. That's his word for you. Now you know you're to abstain from sexual immorality. Scripture again and again is going to give us a kind of a moral guardrail for our life. We know that that is God's will. But what Jesus is saying in John chapter 5 is more so the relational dynamic, the circumstances from moment to moment to moment to moment of life. Jesus is saying, I'm submitting everything to the will of the Father. It's not just morality. It's actually all the stuff you're doing every day, whether it's parenting your kids or whether it's going to work. Whether it's sitting there on the couch, should I watch another episode of The Great British Baking Show? All God's people said, amen, right. That's the stuff. That's the stuff that is, needs to be applied. So, so, you know, we've had a few weeks now where we've been canceled, and so... I've been challenged by this again and again. Like, Lord, like, you really want in on all that, all the details of life that I just take for granted, that I just, like, go on autopilot. Of course you watch the next episode, right? Should I eat this? Should I drink that? Well, of course I should, because it's there. 
It, it's all of this stuff that goes into this moment of surrender, like in all the stuff of life. And you may think, Dan, you're getting a little radical. Right? Now, now you're getting in on our personal space. He wants all of you. He wants every decision. And it's like, how can I ever like slow down enough to make sure that every decision is brought to him? Well, when you grow in intimacy with him and relationship with him, it's not this like, okay, we needed a six-week moratorium on whether or not I should watch the next episode. It's just, Lord, what's your heart for me in the moment? And he will say, no, <laughs> don't eat that, don't drink that, don't watch that. Or he'll say, ah, don't you know my heart is for you? Enjoy, get some rest, get some nourishment, chill. Watch Mr. Hollywood, you know, shake the hand of whoever has done a wonderful job on the great British baking show, right? He wants in on all that stuff, and it's not to be this complicated thing. It's just this, we're in relationship to him, and it's this ongoing interaction. That's why Paul can say, pray without ceasing. Like, it's this constant interaction that you're having, submitting yourself to the will of the Father. He wants to be that close to you, and he wants his will to determine that much of your life. So if you want to be about the work of apprehending your inheritance, of going deeper in holiness with the Lord, and grow, growing together in relationship with one another, and seeing something of the mission advanced, his kingdom realized in greater measure, this is where it begins. It's the model of Jesus. He's the one who brought the kingdom. He is the king of the kingdom, and therefore he is the model that is set for us. This is how we move forward in apprehending our inheritance. His will must determine, his word must determine our will. And there, there's so many different points. One, one quick point. Through submission to the will of God will come revelation. Through submission comes revelation. And that might be a strange word for you. I do not mean by revelation more Bible revelation. It's just as you submit to him, as you give him those moments of like, God, what do you want in this? Can I, can I eat this? Should I eat this? Should I drink that? Like those kind of moments of submitting to God. He will speak to you. He will reveal things to you. He'll reveal what he wants for you as the kind father that he is. Through submission will come revelation. When we submit our will to his word, he proves himself. He reveals himself through submission comes revelation. And, and folks, this, is, this all becomes altogether obvious if you ever fast from food. Have you, fast, have you ever fasted from food? Ever. Some of us are just like, oh, I've never been there. Like, never done that. But you, be, you begin, you know, and I bring this up too because it's Lent season. So some folks are like fasting in different ways. Oftentimes we're like, okay, I think I'll fast from entertainment or I'll fast from this or that or the other thing. The, the rule in scripture is often, it's food. Why? Because it's the most essential thing our existence. It's the most practical and essential thing to our existence, food. I need food today, just like you need food today. So when you fast, you begin to recognize just how disconnected you keep God from the essential things of life. I don't know how many times as I've fasted that I'm just impulsively going to food and picking it up and about to put it into my mouth and then recognizing, oh, I'm fasting right now. Ooh, right? And so fasting shows us the disconnect that we push God out of the essential decisions of life on a constant basis. Not even surrendering kind of the moment to him, saying, God, is this what I should eat? Is this what I should drink? This may seem so like basic and maybe super radical in some sense. It's not. He's a good dad. He's not this kind of individual looking over your shoulder ready to just get you. He's that he wants good things for you. But he also wants to make sure that good things aren't getting in the way of who he is. Cuz he wants your attention. He wants your submission. He wants your surrender. With surrender 
comes revelation. He will show himself to you. Folks, in order to apprehend our inheritance, to get our hands on it, it begins with God's word determining our will. Second, second, our weight must deepen our want. Look at verse 10 here in Joshua 14. It says, and now the Lord has kept me alive these 45 years, as Caleb says. Since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel walked in the wilderness, and now behold, I am 85 years old, and I'm still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength is now as it was then. The idea here is not that Caleb just happens to be strong. Ah, he must have just had some resilience as an individual, physically speaking. No, the idea here is stewardship. Caleb never lost sight of the word of God. And through 45 years of waiting, he deepened his want to see the promises of the Lord fulfilled, to see something of that inheritance one day won for the sake of Yahweh. We have to realize that Caleb would have struggled through 45 years just as we do to gain the things that we want, the holy ambitions that we carry, the things that you guys even wrote down on cards weeks ago. Those are good things, and those good things may come through a waiting process. Now, I don't know about you, but with Caleb, his wants were actually not the primary thing. As the text makes so clear and restates again and again, it wasn't so much that Caleb was just set on this inheritance idea. It was that he was wholeheartedly given to the Lord, as verse 9, verse 14 says. He was wholeheartedly given to the Lord. His weight only deepened his want, not necessarily for his inheritance, but for the God of his inheritance. And therefore, if going after the inheritance would glorify his God, he was all about going after the inheritance. He wholeheartedly followed the Lord. His want was set on Yahweh. Now, for us, I don't know about you, but the waiting usually corrupts the want, right? The holy ambitions that God may give us, right? The waiting period oftentimes corrupts the want, and oftentimes it corrupts the wants because we neglect the giver for the gift. We just want the thing that we've desired, even for, pastor, for pastors. We want things for the church that oftentimes become disconnected from God himself. We want to see things happen and see things done. And we, we get the priorities mixed up. The waiting corrupts the want because we're so focused in on the gift that we've neglected the giver of the gift. Remember Caleb, it wasn't first that he was wholeheartedly given to this work of seeing this inheritance one. No, he was wholeheartedly given to the God of the inheritance. And so oftentimes in the waiting our wants become corrupted because we neglect the giver for the gift. But what is shown here is that our weight must deepen our want for God. Now, another thing, the weight usually corrupts the want when we begin to doubt the goodness of the giver as well. I don't know about you, but when God doesn't come through and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, you begin to doubt he's good to give what you desire. You've been there? Right? You begin to doubt his goodness. This is a tactic that Satan has been using since day one, by the way. Since day one. Adam and Eve in the garden, what's the big temptation? God isn't good. <laughs> He's not giving you all that you may think. And so Satan tempts them with this tactic, oh, God isn't good. His aim is to cause us to doubt God's goodness. In the waiting, 
The enemy's going to remind you of your sufferings. He's going to remind you of your pains. He's going to remind you of the abuse that you've suffered in this life, the hardships that you've endured. And he'll say, you see, he let you suffer like that. He's not good. Don't expect much from this God. He's not good because look what he's allowed you to go through. It's the enemy's way to keep you weak in the spirit. It's his way to keep you weak in faith. Let's just get to the brass tacks. God is our father. He is a father. He is a gracious, loving father such that he would give his own son for us to make enemies his family. He is not one who's stingy when it comes to blessing. He's not one who stands away from our own sufferings and difficulties. He enters in. He is with us in those things. He's there to strengthen us through those things. He's there to even heal us when we've been broken. This is our good God. Do we live in a broken world where suffering, yes, stands at our doorstep every day? Yes. Absolutely. And one day God has made a way such that all things will be renewed. And yet until that day comes, the Father is with us by his spirit. He, that's that Psalm 84 that we read earlier. He invites us in. Come on in. Come on in and know the good of my presence. Come and know something of strength when you've been broken. Come and know something of healing when your heart has been dashed in pieces. He's here for you, one day having secured the fact that all things will be made new. He is not a begrudging God. He is not a God who just calls us to walk this life of cold religious obligation to him. No, he, he engages in the fray. He comes and inhabits our suffering, as we saw even in Hebrews chapter 12 to discipline us, to strengthen us, to sanctify us through what is oftentimes a hard, hard road. The weight will usually corrupt the want when we begin to doubt the goodness of the giver, but he is good. So let me ask you, when you've been in this holding pattern for almost a year now, what has this season of waiting produced in you? Have your wants for Jesus deepened? Have your desires to see loved ones come to faith deepened? Have your desires to see your children saved and discipled, have they deepened? Have your wants, even for revival in Northeast Philly, deepened? What about the prophetic words that some of you have received over time? Have you put those things before you and allowed them to stir faith in you for what God intends to accomplish through you? Are you stewarding this time of waiting or are you allowing the wait to deepen your want for the Lord and the things that he has for you? Finally then, and more briefly, and I'm gonna grab a tissue. Keep my... COVID germs away from you all. Finally then, our road must not hinder our risk. Verse 12, Caleb says, now give me this hill country. It may be that the Lord will be with me. I love that phrase. It may be that the Lord will be with me. For anyone who has gone through all that Caleb had gone through, 45 years, having a significant pushback when he said, yeah, let's go into the land and take it because that's what God has promised. And he has this incredible pushback from the people. There's cost that he endures for this 45 years, this cost of being maligned by the people of God. The people, they tear down Moses and then want to stone Caleb for his faith for the risk that he wanted to take 45 years prior. So now, 45 years removed from that particular moment, he's 85, and for anyone who would be looking in on this, they'd probably be thinking, Caleb, you're kind of naive at this point. 85 years, and you want to go in, and 
take this country from these giants? You know, everyone would have been saying, Caleb, maybe you should just like sit out for this one. Maybe you should just kind of like give up this dream. Let the dream die, this idea of the inheritance. But no, the road of resistance, the road of waiting must not hinder the risk. But don't we often know that the road has a way, even for us, of making our hearts a bit calloused over time. The journey of our life tends to make us a bit calloused and a bit more calculated to the point where we, we're, we're so now defensive through all the hardships and difficulties that we've gone through on this road of life that now, now we're just a bit calloused and calculated. We're, we're making sure that we're not too overstretched or too vulnerable in, in what God might have for us, that we're not too risky, uh, that we're, we, we have it kind of all kind of put together for ourselves. And this is understandable uh, in large part when we've gone through really difficult things in life, where we've had setback after setback after setback, or disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, or suffering after suffering after suffering. But here's what's important to recognize, is that you can't be a living sacrifice. You can't be a sweet incense to God if you're not willing to be burned. If you're not willing to place yourself on the altar at God's request, then you can't be a living sacrifice. But true, obedient, faith-filled risk, it's important to realize, doesn't, does not begin with just saying, yeah, I'm feeling a little calloused and calculated, so I'll just like toss myself on the altar, like throw myself at the risk, whatever God is calling me to. That's not the way it should begin. We deal with our callousness and our calculatedness, if you will, by first diving into intimacy with our God, reclaiming something of the wonder of who he is and what he's done for us. We don't just go blistering forward into activity. Oh, I'm going to take a risk for the sake. No, <laughs> no, we got to get back to intimacy because when we've become callous and calculated, inevitably what that means is that we've lost a place of vulnerability. We've, we're now keeping something from God that God wants to have. And so the first step is not to just be doing a bunch of ministry stuff and taking risk. It's to first get on our hands and knees before the Lord and bring our callousness and calculatedness to Him and say, Lord, this is yours. Take it. Have it. I lay myself before you again. I bring my vulnerabilities before you again to have your way with me. And then it's out of the intimacy that activity can flow. Then, then, then we now have a relationship by which we can hear his voice and know where he's taking us and know where he's leading us, even when it comes to what Caleb would say, yeah, hopefully the Lord's going to be with us. <laughs> Because the risk may not always be something that comes through in all the ways we think. It may be that the Lord will be with us. You see, you can take those kind of risks when your heart is warmed in His presence. When you've known Him, when you've brought your vulnerabilities before Him, then activity can happen. Then risk can happen. It may be that the Lord will be with us. Our road must not hinder our risk. So, in conclusion, this is how we apprehend our inheritance. God's word must determine our will, our weight must deepen our want, and our road must not hinder our risk. As we, as a church, look to 2021, things are going to look different. Our desires to apprehend our inheritance, all that Jesus died to secure for us, must be actively tended to. We must allow God's word to inform us. We must not allow the weight to corrupt the want, and we must be ready for risk. And it just may be that the Lord will be with us. Oh, to see Jesus gained the glory 
right, that he has won for us. Uh, the one who has, appre- who has won our inheritance so that we might fight to see something of his kingdom realized in greater measure. So a few things, um, I'll ask the musicians to come forward, but a few things I just want to spend a little time praying into um, as they come. I want to pray specifically just um, when we think about the inheritance that Christ has won for us, God has placed you specifically in areas, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's in particular family units, whether it's just in the neighborhood and on the street that you are, to be a shining light. It says, the book of Acts says, where Jesus says, there's people on that block in that workplace that are mine. But I need someone who will go and speak. I need someone who will go and share the gospel with them. And so I want to pray. I want to pray specifically for those in your path that you are to be kind of fishers of men for, right? To glorify Jesus, see something of your inheritance apprehended in seeing souls come to Christ. So I want to pray into that. also want to pray into any who may be struggling with the goodness of God. So, man, life has been hard. Life has been hard. I'm still just like tentative to bring my woundedness to him. Um, He is a, just to remind you, he is a good God who wants in on our woundedness. And he never forces himself, though. He's never going to force himself into the vulnerabilities of our life. He'll just simply say, I'm here, I'm here. Arms open, I'm here for you. So I just want to pray for those as well who may be struggling with the goodness of God. And then finally, and this may seem like a bit off from what we're talking about, but I just want to pray specifically online for any who are listening in and you're just like, man, this is, this is a God I don't know yet. I've been thinking about him, I've been exploring just who Jesus is and what he's done for me. Maybe you've been watching in uh, over, the, over the months and you're just like, man, I, don't, like, I think I'm ready. I'm ready to say, Jesus, be my Lord and be my Savior. So I also just want to pray for you uh, as well. So just join me. There may be a few other things that the Spirit may lead us in as we close things out this morning. Uh, So we'll be sensitive to that, but just join me in prayer. God, we thank you that you have drawn the lines of our life. You have placed us exactly where we are, on the streets that we are, in the workplaces that we are in, in the families that we are in. God, I pray that you would burden our heart for what burdens yours. That you have some in those families and in the workplace and on the block that are yours, that you you are even wooing now. You're preparing their hearts. So God, I pray that you would burden our hearts. And God, I pray that you would grant us something of direction as we submit our will to your word We pray that you would reveal to us the specific individuals that you are sending us to speak to. So God, I pray that you would even bring individuals to mind, even right now. Pray that you'd bring individuals to mind, in the family, in the workplace, on the block. Holy Spirit, bring those names to mind. Bring those names to mind. And God, God, burden our heart for them. Burden our heart. Help us to see not just their immediate existence and our immediate interactions with them, but help us to see the full journey, the full eternity that awaits us all. God, let us be your hands and your feet. Let us be the bearer of good news. Blessed are the feet that bring the good news to others. So Lord, show us, lead us, We give you sway. And Lord, I pray against uh, apathy. (laughs) I pray against even um, 
I pray against a false theology that says, no, we just, we don't have to go out of our way in, the, in these kind of ways. God is sovereign and so he'll just bring it to us. Lord, that, that stands against the truth of your word where your people, your church, went forward on mission. Went forward again and again at great cost to themselves. There was suffering, there was pushback. God, help us to recognize that there is a cosmic battle at work. There is an enemy that stands against us, but let us know, yes, that the strong man has been bound, and now, Jesus, King of all, you invite us to plunder his house. You invite us to go out and to see individuals snatched from darkness and brought into the kingdom. So, Lord, Empower our witness. Empower our witness to see individuals come to faith in you. And now, Lord, we, we ask your healing balm upon your people. We ask, oh God, for those who have suffered in deep and in unique ways where shame abounds within the heart, where self-deprecation is just a constant M.O. God, we pray... We pray your healing balm. We pray that your kindness would be known, your gentleness would be known, that your presence would be known, that there would be something of your goodness realized. God, you are good. You are perfect in righteousness. You are perfect in mercy. You are perfect in love. And you are perfect in your justice. You are altogether good. So, Lord, we pray for those hearts that have been so deeply hurt and damaged. Jesus, thank you that you said, you said, this is why I have come to earth, to bind up the brokenhearted, to take those hearts that have been shattered in a thousand pieces and mend them together in no way that any psychology or therapy could ever do. You alone are healer. So, Lord, send forth your word and heal your people. Lord, we know, we know that healing can often be a journey. But God, there are many who just haven't brought their pain to you. Lord, I pray, I pray that there would be a stirring of faith, a stirring of faith to lay their vulnerabilities before you, to lay their vulnerabilities at your feet and say, God, what else do I have? Like the woman who's hemorrhaging blood for 11 plus years. She's gone to all the doctors. She's got to get to Jesus just to touch the hem of his garment to see if he's good. Jesus, thank you. You are good. Jesus, thank you. You're not going to barge into our problems and to our hurt. But where there's desperation, you are there. The hem of your garment could just be touched. You're there for us. So, Lord, let your goodness be known. Let it be that there would be a place at your altars to lay all our vulnerabilities and hurts. Let us know your goodness, God. And now, in Jesus' name, we pray for those who are watching in, who've never made a confession of faith, who've heard about you, Jesus, but have never said, all right, you are Lord and you are Savior. For any of you who are at home, I, I, I pray that you would bend the knee of your heart to him today. You say, well, I don't have all my questions answered. <laughs> Well, that, those are real things. Those are real things to work through and to consider. But Jesus bids you to come. You'll never perfectly have all your questions answered. So what's the delay? Come to him. Throw your heart before him. Ask him to forgive you of your sin, of your shame, of your guilt. He will have you. He will invite you into his family. Your name will be on the family plaque. He will be invited in. You will know something of his love and his forgiveness. 
And it's simply calling out to him and saying, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior. Forgive me of my sins. Have all of me. I give myself to you as you have given yourself for me. He will have you. And if you've made that decision even today, um, I'd encourage you to talk to someone who can kind of guide you along in that relationship with the Lord who can show you the path forward and maybe talk through some of the very concerns and questions that you may have. There's a few, um, this may be for folks online. I just want to pray through, we're getting a little long, I know. Uh, A few words of knowledge that the Lord gave me this morning, um, just different issues of healing that may need to take place. Um, First is a deviated septum. There's some issues within the nose. Isn't it amazing? He's a father who cares about that stuff. He cares. He cares about your breathing. That's amazing. It's wonderful, right? So if there is someone perhaps at home or here who's got a deviated septum, you just can't breathe very well out of your nose. I want to pray for you. Anybody here that would say, hey, that's me? We can pray from a distance. All right, Rich. All right, so as we pray through some of these things, we can stay at a distance. Just put out a hand towards those who have those particular issues, okay? So deviated septum. This is a strange one. Uh, In the arch of the foot, it feels like there's a lot of pain and almost the image that I got was like rocks in the foot. All right, so here, all right. So uh, again, as I pray through this, we'll just hold out our our hands, right, as a way of communicating we're together in this. Um, Also then, left side of the back, there's pain, and then it kind of wraps around to the kidney area. There's some pain in the kidney area. All right, Russ, all right, man. Uh, And then finally, a right shoulder and into the neck, creating some tension there, quite painful. Um, actually. So if that's anyone here. All right. All right. Sounds good. Um, and it, folks, if you're at home watching in and you're saying, oh, that, that's me, let, let's just take a moment to posture ourselves before the Lord. We would love to hear if any of this relates to you online. Just toss it into the comments, uh, what you're suffering from, so that we can be in continual prayer for these particular things. We, we recognize that God sometimes shows up and heals us in the moment. He sometimes heals us over a course of time. Uh, so we want to be able to continue to pray into these things and see God's grace uh, come to bear. All right. Anything else? All right. Let's pray then. God, we pray for your healing power even now in Jesus' name. We, Lord, we thank you. You send forth your word and heal your people. This is who you are. This is part of your nature. So, Father, we honor you. We honor you in the praying for these things. We, we honor you in the fact that you care about our breathing. You care about our feet and our pain. And you care about our back. And you care about shoulders and all of that. You care about our bodily comfort. So, Lord, we honor you. We honor you now as the healer. And and so we we pray in Jesus' name for the deviated septum. We we ask that it would open up in Jesus' name, that there would be clear uh, breath through the nose. Uh, Lord, so we we pray. We pray that air would be passing through, that there would be comfort in breathing in, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you. We thank you. We thank you for what you're doing. Lord, uh, I just want to go after this a little bit. Uh, there's folks at home as well. Um, not because I'm having a word now, but because we know folks struggling uh, with this particular issue as well. And so I pray for the folks at home, Lord, bring healing power to them. Would you relieve um, uh, that blockage? And, and would, you, would you give them the, the blessing of being able to breathe and breathe clearly? In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And Lord, we, we pray for the pain in the, in, in the feet.
feet. We pray for the, the arch. We, Lord, we, I don't even know what exactly that is, but Lord, we pray that the pain would go in Jesus' name. We pray that there would be strength to uh, all the ligaments and tendons within the arch of the foot. We pray, Lord, that you would bring wholeness, wholeness to the feet. Pray that you'd bring wholeness to the feet in Jesus' name. So, Lord, we pray that you would work in that particular way. Lord, we pray for, for the back to be relieved. We pray that you would take away the, the pain around the kidney area as well, bring healing uh, to where there is pain, Lord. We pray that there would be something of comfort. Um, yeah, and I'm, um, I don't know, uh, just feel warmth now along that area. So maybe you're feeling warmth in that area and that's just the Lord touching you, bringing his healing care uh, to you. This may seem weird to some of you watching in as well. Um, and I just encourage you again with the fact that the Lord is healer and he cares about all these different things and he speaks to us. Uh, we sometimes speak it in part, so we sometimes get it wrong. Uh, so it's not Bible that we are speaking this is just what we believe the Lord's speaking. And so, Lord, bring that healing touch. I pray that you would bring your warmth to the kidney area, to the back, straighten it up, and relieve that pain in Jesus' name. And finally, for the shoulder, we pray, Lord, uh, that you would also grant just for all the tendons and ligaments and muscle strain that is there, we pray release in Jesus' name. We pray that there would be uh, just wholeness brought to the shoulder as, as well. So Lord, we pray these things, and Lord, we know that when we pray these things, there's been some who've been praying for years and decades to see change brought to their bodies, a miracle brought to their bodies, and God, you know the hearts of everyone. You know the struggles that our, that our hearts feel because of the pain that we endure, and we know, we know you're a good God, and we know that you're a healer, and we know that sometimes you heal us through medicine and other means, and sometimes you just give us the grace to endure, but Lord, you also then intervene with your healing grace, so for those who, who have deep burdens, where they've just been carrying hardship for some time, Lord, I pray that you would guard their hearts and minds from the enemy, who would cause them to doubt the goodness of their God. And we do pray, we do pray that you would grant miracles. We want testimonies, Lord, of your power and your might given to your people to see dramatic things happen. We, we pray even now, as we're just kind of getting on a roll, we pray for ears to open, for the deaf, to hear. God, open the ears, we pray in Jesus' name. Also that this might be a resounding testimony to who uh, you are as the great healer. So God, would you work these ways, give us testimonies so we can celebrate your goodness, your kindness to us. And God, yes, we, we trust that you will give enduring grace otherwise. So make your presence known. Make your kindness known. Give thoughts that are true and right and protect your people from the arrows of the enemy. Stir faith, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Zion is like a, another word for heaven. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, yep. cool. Yep. That confused me earlier when they said Zion. Zion, yes. Heaven is like envisioned as this hill where God's presence resides on the top.
family here. So Eric, stick around. I just think the Lord wants us to pray for you. Um, all right, by way of benediction, Ephesians chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you for joining us. You're dismissed. Grace and peace to you guys.